I'm really blessed because I've been hearing from some of you guys that this series has blessed you guys. So it's been a blessing for me to be able to teach it. And if you're just joining us, um, the series that we're doing is Christian Atheist. So if you're, I think everyone here has been here for all of them, but if you haven't and you missed what that means, what in the world does Christian atheist mean? Well, we're defining a Christian atheist as someone who believes in God, but lives as if he does not exist. Someone who believes in God, but lives however they want, as if God does not really exist. So week one, we talked about believing in God, but not knowing him. We also talked week two about believing in God and not fearing him. Week three was about believing in God, but not wanting to go all the way with the whole Jesus thing, to not really want to go overboard. And today we're going to talk about those who believe in God and don't trust him fully. People who believe in God and don't trust him fully. I don't know about you, but I find myself falling into this category, I feel, the most. Um, How many of you guys are people who like to be in control? Anyone admit that? Like in your life, you like to be in control. Okay. We got got maybe some type A personalities here. Um, So if you find yourself looking at someone else in the group right now who didn't raise their hand and you want to raise their hand for them because you feel like you know them, then you're definitely the person who wants to be in control. And um, sometimes it's hard to fully surrender. It's hard to trust God. We say, I believe in God, but I don't really want to surrender everything to him. There's still some things in my life I want to control. To dive into our message tonight, I want to read to you a passage from Deuteronomy 9. If you want to turn there with me, if you've got your phones, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Here's the backstory. The book of Deuteronomy is one of the books of Moses. It's the last book in the Torah. And basically it covers this speech that Moses gave to the children of Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. Um, this is after God frees them from Egypt. You know, they're, they're slaves in Egypt. They're in this land of exile and God frees them through Moses. They free the slaves and now they're in the wilderness and they're wandering to try to find the promised land. Um, From there, they go to Mount Sinai, and that's where God gives them the Ten Commandments, and he challenges them to keep to the covenant. So what's a covenant? We have to just kind of address that for the backstory purposes. Um, But does anyone here know what a covenant is? Can anyone here tell me? We've talked about this a lot in youth group over the past year. Um, How would you define covenant? Anybody? A holy contract. I like that. Yeah. So a covenant is a holy contract. It's a partnership agreement between God and man to accomplish something. All throughout the Bible, God is seen making covenants. Um, So for Israel, what was the covenant? God said, we're going to make an agreement, Israel. You will be my chosen people. And see, God has a covenant promise that he set in motion right from Adam and Eve when they sinned. He said, one day the snake crusher will come. He says, one day someone will deliver the world from evil. And he's talking about Jesus. So God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, Abraham, from your children, from your family, a savior will come. And so that's the covenant with Abraham. And then, um, as Abraham has many kids and they end up growing up in Egypt and becoming slaves. And then God raises Moses to deliver them. Then God makes a covenant with Moses and the children of Israel saying, listen, my plan to save the world through your family is still in motion. So you will be my chosen people. I'm going to save the whole world through you. Everything points to Jesus. Everything leads up to Jesus. But in this moment, the Israelites didn't realize that all they realized was, okay, God wants to make a covenant with us. We're his chosen people. He wants to bless us and keep us safe. The conditions of the covenant 
covenant where you've got to keep God's commandments. You've got to be holy. Now, we've talked a lot about holiness in this group. Holiness does not mean just keeping a list of commandments. To be holy means to be set apart for a purpose. Just like this fire pit is set apart for the purpose of fire, I don't throw grass or I don't even grow grass. Like, I'm, I'm just dirt back here. I don't throw... I'm, I don't throw Kool-Aid in it. That was the best analogy I could come up with. I'm sorry. Um, it's set apart for the purpose of fire, not Kool-Aid. So, Then, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, the Israelites wander through the wilderness and they break the covenant. They say, God, we're not concerned about the future and what you want to do through us. We're just concerned with our right now. And our right now is terrible. We're in the desert and it's hot and it smells and there's like so many of us and and we're never going to make it to the promised land so what happens is the children of israel start rebelling and they start forsaking god's rules and sinning so most of the generation of the people who were in egypt they die because they've been wandering in the wilderness they would have made it to the promised land so fast but because they didn't obey god they just kept wandering around in circles and so pretty much the entire generation dies off so in the book of deuteronomy this is i know it's a long backstory but the book of deuteronomy what we're reading is moses is making a speech to the new generation so think of it as like if your parents were in egypt when you were babies and then they wandered in the wilderness when you were kids but they didn't obey god and then they all died off and then moses gets up to you and says all right you guys are now the new generation So now that your parents have died off, it's time for me to tell you that you need to keep the covenant because your parents didn't make it to the promised land because they wouldn't listen. And so now it's up to you. So Moses takes time to explain the whole story for them like I just did for you. And in Deuteronomy verses, or in chapters one through three of Deuteronomy, he talks about how the last generation rebelled and he he talks about how God didn't give up on Israel. He says, listen, our parents, our, our, our ancestors, they were rebellious, but God didn't give up on us. He's still with us. And in chapters 4 through 11, Moses is making this passionate speech to the next generation. He's trying to inspire them to trust God and remain faithful to the covenant. So um, in chapter 9, what's about to happen is the people of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. But God wanted them to understand they're not receiving this blessing because they're good. They're receiving it because God is good. So read verse uh, 23 with me. Verse 23. Long setup there, but now hopefully you know what's going on. So verse 23, Moses is talking to this new generation and he says, when the Lord sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and and your God and you did not trust him or obey him. What does he say? You did not, what? Two things. You did not trust and you did not what? Obey. You didn't trust God fully and you didn't do what he led you to do. You didn't trust him and you didn't obey him. And the problem for so many of us is that we have what I call a partially surrendered life. We're going to give God some parts of our lives, but we're not going to trust him with everything. You know, in our culture, we're surrounded by people who are control freaks. Um, And some of you guys admitted tonight, you're a control freak. I know sometimes I I can be. Um, For, is anyone here like at home, you've got to be in control of the remote? Anyone that way? Like, yeah? What about, uh, does anyone here always get their way whenever it's time to figure out like where you're going to go out to eat as a family? Are you the one who always gets the deciding vote? Anyone here like that? Uh, so you guys are like, no, I'm the youngest and no one listens to me. What about, are any of you guys backseat drivers? Anyone admit to that? So like where if you're not the one driving, you're just silently judging the person who's driving. <laughs> 
I've sat with some backseat drivers and it's like every turn you make, they're like, mm, why, I would have taken a different route. I would have gone a different way. And you're like, just let me drive. Um, sometimes, um, are, are any of you guys this way where uh, if anyone asks to see your phone, like if anyone's like, hey, can I use your phone to call somebody? You get super uneasy about handing your phone to anyone else. Anyone that way? <clears throat> I'm that way because when I was the junior high pastor, anytime I'd hand my phone to anybody, they'd start going through all my texts and all my pictures. And it's just like, who are you? Like, who does that? What an invasion of privacy. Um, so there's, there's quite a few of us, though. I mean, fill in the blank. You all have reasons that you are control freaks at times. Um, I've struggled with it. For me, it's not always been for me so much controlling people as it's been my environment. For instance, when I was growing up, I was a very picky eater. Nowadays, I'm the opposite. Like, I'll just eat anything. Um, But back then, I literally was so picky, uh, and and my food was not allowed to touch the other food on my plate. My mom had to, like, separate them because it's like if the chicken touches the mashed potatoes, then they're contaminated. It doesn't make sense. They're all going to the same place. I, I used to love stuffed animals. In fact, I still have all my stuffed animals in my parents' attic awaiting the day when I have children that I can give them the same stuffed animals because I don't want to go buy new stuffed animals. Good thinking, 15-year-old me. Uh, Anyway, though, that was smart. That was a smart decision. Um, But I had a little shelf in my room where all of my stuffed animals would sit. And if they ever got out of order, if anyone ever took one off the shelf, I would freak out. Like, they had to be in the right order. I'm like that now with my office at work. I'm a little OCD. Uh, If I ever come in my room and someone else has used my desk and anything's out of place, it's like, this book is supposed to go here, and this candle goes here, this thing goes here. Like, I'm I'm just, I'm I'm weird. In fact, um, you know, Scotty and Jamie have played a lot of pranks on me over the years. And, you know, I never prank anyone back. I'm just, I'm not that guy. So they take it out on me. But Scott likes to come in my office and flip all of my pictures upside down, uh, which just is like, really? Oh, my gosh. And then Jamie one time, paid a high school student uh, to go into my office and take down all of my pictures. I have tons of posters and graphic design pictures and, and things hanging on my wall. Jamie paid a high school kid to go and remove everything and said, hey, Aaron asked me if I could find someone to help him do this because he's moving to a different office. Can you help? So poor Kia Padilla came in and removed everything from my walls. So... And you know what? The, one of the biggest ways I'm a control freak is I'm really weird about TV aspect ratios. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gone into someone else's house and their TV picture stretched? Like they're watching the news and it's like supposed to be widescreen, but they have it on like standard. So it's like everything's all stretched out. That, I freak out when that happens. I'm like, give me your remote. Give me your remote. Like I don't even live here. Like just give me your remote. I'm going to change that aspect ratio so it looks good. So yes, sometimes I, I can be a control freak. There's areas where I have to be in control. Maybe you have areas of your life where you feel that way. There's a problem with this. Being a control freak, guys, tends to bleed into our spiritual lives. There are things that it's hard not for us to trust God with. And there are things that are impossible, it seems, to release to God. Things that are hard to give up to him. In fact, I want to read a passage of scripture to you. It's my favorite proverb. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. And I'm reading from a different translation than most of you have. have. It's the uh, PSV version, which is the partially surrendered version. It goes like this. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean mostly on your own understanding. And in some of your ways, acknowledge him and you, my friend, can make your own path straight. That's the PSV version. Again, it's not a real version. It's the partially. So if you if you thought that was a real version, you're silly. It's it's not. That's not in the Bible. The, it's not. The, the truth is, though, this is going to sting, but the truth is that actually this version of the passage that I just read, this fake made up, like partially surrendered version, that's kind of what we mean a lot of times when we read that verse. The real passage is, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. But we don't live this way. We say, God, I'll give you some of my heart, not all. God, I'll give you some things, but I'm not gonna give you everything. And in some way, that defines every single person listening to the message here, myself included. I think in all of our lives, we have aspects where we say at times, Lord, I'll give you some of the things of my life, but I cannot give you everything. Lord, I'll give you an hour on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but Friday and Saturday night, that's, that's my time. That belongs to me. I'm gonna do what I want with that time. We might say, Lord, I'll I'll give you an hour on a Wednesday night, but Saturday night is mine. We might say, God, I'll give you five minutes in the morning every day. The first of my day, I'll get up and I'll read my Bible for five minutes. I'll, I'll read a little devotional. But what about when it comes to obedience throughout the day? Not just getting up in the morning and and doing your religious duty of reading a five-minute devotional, but when you're going throughout the day and the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, go talk to that person. Go serve your parents this way. Make this tough decision. A lot of times we're just on autopilot and we do what our flesh wants to do. We say, no, I can't obey God. Life is too hard. I can't get through this life without disobedience. If I were to obey my parents, teachers, and God all the time, life would literally be impossible, some of us say. We say, God, I'm going to trust you with my salvation because I need your forgiveness. But frankly, I, you know, I kind of want to go to heaven one day. Absolutely. And that's a distant future thing, God. Thank you for that. But what about my present and my near future, my college and career choices, my job and the money I earn, who I want to date right now? God, that's mine. Don't try to get involved, Lord. Thanks for the free ticket to heaven. But all of the stuff going on in my life, I'm going to make those decisions. Here's the thing. God has a purpose for you and you will never fully experience it if you're holding back. If you hold anything back from God, you are at a brick wall in your journey of faith. I'm gonna say that again. If you're holding anything back from God, you're literally at a brick wall in your journey of faith because God is always moving forward. He's always calling you to growth. He's always calling you to surrender. He's always calling you to repentance. And so if there's something in your life that you're not willing to give up, you are at a brick wall in your faith journey. You are. And it goes, it goes to the way that we think. We, we say, God, I believe that you listen to their prayers, everyone else, but I'm not convinced you hear mine. We, we say, I, I believe that you're a God of grace, but I sometimes don't feel that mercy really applies to me. I've sinned too much. We say, Lord, I'll trust you with some things, but really I'm a Christian atheist. I believe you, God, but I cannot trust you completely. I'm gonna tell you guys about a guy named Charles Blondin. Has anyone heard of Charles Blondin? amazing athlete from the 1800s. Um, he's amazing. Charles, like, look up Charles Blondin online. He is fantastic. Uh, June 30, 1859, Charles is a tightrope walker. Anyone know what that, you guys know what that is. Like, so imagine this is a tightrope, you know, and he's, he's walking on the tightrope. Like, you have to balance. You don't have anything to hold on to. You have to have great weight distribution and balance to be able to walk on a tightrope. This guy was the very first person to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Yeah, that's crazy. Like 160 feet above extremely dangerous, rocky, death-defying waterfall. He, he, he's a, it's about, uh, the distance is about 1,100 feet in distance, almost a quarter of a mile, walking on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. In, an incredible feat. Um, so he tightrope walks across Niagara Falls and everyone goes nuts. Like everyone's watching and they're like, he did it. This guy's amazing, Charles Blondin. Like he's, he's like the athlete of the day. So then he gets done. He's like, what's next? 
So he does it again. The second time he does it on stilts. Oh my gosh. I had to fact check this stuff to make sure it was real. He does it on stilts. How do you even, like, I can't even just walk on stilts, like in general. How does Charles Blondin walk across a tightrope across Niagara Falls on stilts? That's crazy. I have a hard enough time on trampolines. When, when I went to get air that day that Sam kneed himself in the face and lost his memory and became Finding Dory. Um, I literally, like Justin and all these guys are like doing flips and going crazy and I'm just like bouncing up and down. I'm like, this is great. This is great. So I have, I couldn't do this stuff. I like walk on stilts across Niagara Falls. It's amazing. So the third time he does it with a burlap sack over him. So he can't even stick out his arms for balance. He can't see and he's got no balance. The fourth time he's like, that's not even impressive enough. He walks across the tightrope carrying a portable stove on his back. <laughs> Halfway through, he sets the stove down and balances the stove on the tightrope, cooks an omelet, eats the omelet, puts the stove back on his back and continues to walk. I literally, I had to look this up to make sure this wasn't, like I was reading this and I was like, this can't be real. Oh my gosh, they have photos. Um, dude, I don't know. But I know this guy needs new hobbies. <laughs> he, so... The fifth time, he does it carrying his manager on his back. Just like Yoda and Luke Skywalker across the tightrope. And the sixth time, he goes across this tightrope over Niagara Falls pushing a wheelbarrow full of potatoes. I have a hard enough time just pushing a wheelbarrow like, and not making it fall over with just bricks in it. This guy pushes it across. Like, it, it's incredible. So he gets to the other side, and the reporter asks him and says, okay, this is awesome, man. So what else are you going to do? And, and, and he says, this is incredible. You know, what's next, Charles? He says, I bet you could do that wheelbarrow trick with a person inside of it. And Charles looks at him and he says, I think you're right. Why don't you hop in? And the reporter's response is, I believe you can do it, but not enough for me to get in that wheelbarrow because I think I might die. And that's totally, guys, how we are when God asks us to step out in faith. I mean, remember the story of Peter. Walking on water. We, we go over the story so many times. Peter gets out of the boat. He sees Jesus, gets out of the boat, steps into the waves and the wind. And we read stuff like that. And I don't know about you, but I read stuff like that. And I'm like, man, I want to have a life like Peter. I want to have a miraculous life where I take steps of faith. I want to, I want to experience the power of God. But most of us, a lot of times, are too freaked out to get out of the boat. We say, you know, I can't do it. My feet will never touch the water. I'm going to sink. I want to walk on water, but I'm not getting out of the boat. I, I like my comfort zone. I like my plan. I like all my ducks in a row. I like everything to be the way that I planned it out and the work that I put in to make this plan work. And sometimes God just completely like flips our plan table over and he's like, hey, this is what I have for you. And it's so hard. We say, God, I'll trust you with some things, but I won't trust you with everything. Here's the thing. If you're finding yourself in this message, if you're hearing this and this is speaking to you, I want to encourage you, you're not alone in your faith struggle. You're not. In Mark's gospel, chapter nine, verse 22, we have a story of a dad who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. His son is demon possessed. And in fact, the disciples try to cast out the demon, but they're unable to do it. And Jesus was kind of frustrated with their lack of faith. He's like, man, my, my own disciples can't even cast out this demon. So uh, the dad brings him to Jesus and he says this. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Isn't that curious what he said to God? If you can do anything, if you can do anything. 
You know, I find myself coming with that attitude to God a lot of the times. I say, God, you know, I don't know if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, can you, can you help me? Can you spare me some help? I forget who I'm talking to. The God who breathed the galaxies into being with, with a whisper. The God who parted the Red Sea, who called fire down on the mountain with Elijah. The God who raised the dead. And, and I ask if you can do anything. I mean, how does Jesus respond? Is he like, who do you think you're talking to? Jesus is so kind to doubters. He he says to the the dad with the demon-possessed son, he says, anything, everyone everyone say anything, anything, anything is possible for one who believes, is what Jesus said. And immediately the boy's father says, I do believe, but Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And I love this passage because you know what? My faith is imperfect. My faith is flawed, it's lacking, and so is yours. I love that in this story, God's word gives me permission to believe in God and yet to ask him to help me in the areas I struggle with in doubting. To ask him to help give me faith where I struggle trusting anyone but myself. And there's areas where it's like, literally, I don't want to ask anyone for help. I just want to do it all on my own. And God calls us to give those areas to him and let him help and invite other people into our lives and community to help us. Jesus, or the, 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 the man with the demon-possessed son says, I believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I want to trust you, I really do, but I have a hard time trusting you all the way. What I want to ask you guys to do today is to get honest. I want you guys to think right now, what is an area that you struggle in doubting with? And call it out. And I don't mean out loud, um, but I mean in your own heart. Call it out. For every one of you listening to this message, there's something that you are holding on to and you just can't let it go. That's how we all are, myself included, as humans. Don't say it out loud. That would be awkward. But I I want you guys to either really, really commit it to memory tonight or even write it down on your phones or on a piece of paper if you have it. I think most of you guys have phones. Just open up your notes app. And seriously, like, like just as I'm talking, open up your notes app and just jot down something that you're struggling with. I don't fully trust God with, and then you fill in the blank. You know, for some of you, it's easy. For some of you, you don't trust God with your present in your near future. For some of you, it's like, I don't trust God with the aspects of my life going on right now and my future. For some of you, you wake up every day battling fear and anxiety, and you've had a hard time believing that bad things aren't gonna happen to you this day, and that God is actually with you and for you, and he's got good things for you. For others, it's money. And one of the reasons the Bible talks about money more than many other issues is because it's the hardest thing for us to trust anyone else with. It's one of the biggest reasons people get divorced with. You know, people say, I trust you, God, but I just can't, I just can't give you my finances. I just can't trust you with it. For others of you, it's a relationship. It's, you know, you've, you've invested and you're dating someone or maybe you want to ask somebody out and you've just invested so much in the friendship and, and, and you've been dating and things seem to be going so well and all signs from your friends point to this is a good relationship. But maybe the Lord is telling you something different. Now, listen, if you're here dating someone, I'm not like this isn't to say everyone is in that boat, but maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've been basing your decisions on your feelings and desires and you haven't acknowledged the Lord and you haven't asked him what he thinks, or maybe he's definitely told you something different and you're deciding to go the other way because you want what your flesh wants. For others, it's the addiction that you think that you can handle. Listen, you can't. What is it? Seriously, call it out, write it down. Get a little courageous. Here's the thing. 
I deeply believe that honesty is the beginning of liberty. The Bible says it, the truth of God will set us free. That's what God wants for us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Yet so many of us guys are living in our own created prisons, holding back and hiding things from God that honestly, he already knows that we're hiding. You know, when I was going over this message, I was praying through, what is it for me? And when I look back on my life, there have been seasons where I've struggled trusting God with pretty much everything. A big one was, will I ever get married? I just thought, I, you know, that's never gonna happen. There's never gonna be someone for me. I'm always gonna be rejected. All of my friends are gonna get married. And it's just, it's never gonna happen for me. You know, I had a really hard time trusting God with that. Uh, there was other times where, you know, I was working in a job and I really wanted to be in the ministry because I felt like that was what I was called to. And I was like, is this ever going to work out? Is this ever going to happen? I keep trying to get this job and nothing's opening up and, and the doors are closing and I feel like I'm going to be stuck in this job I don't really enjoy forever. That was really hard to trust God with. There was other times where I struggled financially, honestly, where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I just gotten married. I wasn't making very much money. And, and I was like, man, God, it's really hard to trust you. But you know what, guys? That's really not where I'm at tonight. Probably the biggest area right now that I struggle with, and this is hard for me to say because sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable in front of a group of people, but honestly, the biggest area that I have a hard time letting go to God with is this group. You know, I, I've been with this group. I, I looked it up today. I've, I've been with this group 10 years, 10 months, and 17 days. I've been the high school pastor since July 2014. Uh, I started as the junior high pastor in May 2011. And I started serving as a counselor at my very first winter camp back in February 2006. Even before that, I, you know, I was in the junior high group and high school group at our church when I was a student myself. So I've been here forever and it feels like forever and it feels awesome. I love it. And I've been so blessed to be a part of this group for so long because I, I love it. And honestly, I love you guys. I really, really do. And, I, and I, that's where I struggle. I, I struggle letting go sometimes. I really do. I struggle with the things that you guys tell me. I hate when you guys are going through hard things, when you guys are going through difficult things, when you tell me what you're dealing with, like, I'm not just like, oh, cool. Like, let me write that down. I'll pray about it one day. Like, I, I really like, like internalize it sometimes. And I'll, I'll be like sitting at home and I'm like, oh my gosh, that thing is happening to her. He's dealing with that. Like, how is he going to get through that? Uh, Brooklyn's the same way. You know, I've, I've been emotionally affected by seeing some of you guys go through trials. I've seen you guys go through deaths in your family. I've seen you guys go through serious drama at times and hurts and struggles. There's been times where, you know, I've watch students in our groups get sucked into sin and my heart has never been like those jerks like whatever like when they come back they can come back to group like anytime that's happened like honestly at times it's made me cry at night it's made me just so bummed to see people that I love not following Jesus and walking in a different direction I've lost sleep wondering one time if, if a student who ran away from home and, and stole a car and was out on the freeway as an underage driver with no experience I was like is this guy gonna survive tonight like is he, and I remember me and my dad uh, got in our car and, and we drove around town like until the wee hours of the morning looking for him and trying to find him and trying to get him to come back. Brooklyn and I have really struggled sometimes when students and, and, and even leaders who served with us in the past and spent a ton of time with us left the group and don't really talk to us anymore or, or so for some reason block us on social media and, and we try to get a hold of them and we just can't talk to them anymore. And at, at times, you know, um, at times, we've had students who struggled with sin, 
And because they struggled with sin, because they were struggling, they stopped coming to the group and they avoided us because they felt guilty and they didn't know that we weren't there to judge them and we would have just gave them a hug and said, we're praying for you. But we've had times where people straight up avoided us because they were dealing with sin. And you know, sometimes the fact can be that I care so much and I love you all so much. The danger becomes that I kind of begin to think that I'm more necessary than I am. Uh, I have a hard time letting go. Uh, I, I struggle with like Batman syndrome, which is like, I feel like I have to save everybody in Gotham City. And if I'm not, like I'm failing. Um, that's been a big struggle for me. Like uh, that's been a hard thing for me to let go of at times over the years. Guys, the Lord really spoke to me a while ago that I needed to let go of this idea that I need to do everything and that the group would suffer if I didn't do everything. And guys, I'm happy to say that I'm in a much healthier place right now. The Lord has led me to such a better place because he's, he's led me to a place of just really basing everything in this group around relying on him and relying on community. That's why this group, we're huge on small group leaders. And we really work hard to try to bring people, good people, like the people sitting in this group to be your small group leaders. I've, I've really wanted small groups to be the core of this group. We do small groups on Wednesdays and we do small groups on Sundays. And it's, to me, it's, mo- it's the most important part of our group because to me, if all you guys do is just hear my voice every week and then you go home, uh, it's like you're not really getting it. But if you can sit around with, with Eric or Rebecca or, or Kayla or Brooklyn or the, any of the other counselors and after a message, really talk about what is Jesus saying to you? And you get that personal connection with those people who love you and, and care about you just as much as I do. Man, that's family. That's community. And I love that so much. And I've been so blessed this year to see some of our seniors and juniors who are student leaders kind of rise up and, and kind of assist the small group leaders. And it's been cool to see when some of those small group leaders can't make it, um, that some of you guys have stepped in and helped lead the groups and acted as older brothers and sisters. I've appreciated that so much, guys. I'm in a journey of realizing, um, which is not a newsflash to any of you guys, but this is not my group. This is God's group, and he loves it more than I do. He cares about it more than I do. He dreams about it more than I do, and, and I'm just in the process of saying, okay, God, I'm just a part of what you're doing here. I'm not necessary here. You know, I'm confident that if I got hit by a truck tomorrow, that somebody else, one of the counselors would keep leading the group and they would do a great job and the Lord would continue to bless you and use you guys. But you know, that's a hard thing for me, uh, but I'm in in the journey of really letting go and letting God take over. And I wanna challenge you guys, whatever it is that you wrote on your little piece of paper or on your phone, have courage to get honest about it and to talk about it with your small groups or even just with the Lord one-on-one and do something about it and give it to God. We need to ask the question, how do we develop a wholehearted trust not holding anything back? And in the, in the remainder of our time, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the passage of scripture that I quoted badly in the beginning. Remember, I misquoted it. Proverbs 3, five through six. Let's read it together if you, if you can look it up fast enough. Proverbs 3, verse five through six. Trust in the Lord, how much? With all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In how many of your ways? 
all your ways, every single one of them, every struggle, your job, your schoolwork, your sports, your relationship or your lack of relationship for some of you guys, uh, in your hobbies, dealing with your parents, in all your ways, the Bible says, submit to him, acknowledge him. In other translations, in our more English translations, it says acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But to apply this to scripture to our lives, we've got to understand what does that word acknowledge means. Um, I think the most important word in this text is that word acknowledge. And if you look at the original Hebrew, it really is more the word submit. In all your ways, submit to Jesus and he will make your path straight. That means giving Jesus the pride and place in your decision making. That means going to him and not just saying, all right, God, I said a prayer for two minutes. Now I'm going to do what I want, but saying, you know what? This is a pretty big decision. I should probably pray about this for a couple weeks before I make this decision. I should probably really go to Jesus and go to people that I love in my community, my small group leader, my pastors, my parents, my friends who follow Jesus with me. I should be asking for them to pray for me while I try to make this decision. But so many times we just jump into it. Guys, the Hebrew word for, uh, and I, I know I say Hebrew words all the time, but I love Hebrew words. It just helps us understand the context. That word for acknowledge is yada. Everyone say yada. yada. It's like yada, yada. Everyone, so it's yada. It's not Yoda, it's yada. What does it mean? Yoda. Not Yoda. To, yada means coming to know and submit by observing, reflecting, and experiencing. I'm going to read that again. Coming to know and submit by observing, reflecting, and experiencing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Everything about your life and all your ways come to know Jesus by submitting by, and observing and reflecting and experiencing Christ. Then he will make your path straight. He'll not bring order to the chaos of your life until you acknowledge him, you yada him, you submit to him. Here's the thing. The, to, the word to know God is not intellectual. It's not like a word, like a knowledge word, like in the sense of like, yeah, I know that two plus two equals four. That's knowledge. That's a totally different Hebrew word. This Hebrew word yada for know is the same word and stay with me. Like don't work through this with me or else you'll, you'll take it to a weird place. But this Hebrew word yada for know is the same word used in Genesis that says Adam yadad Eve and she bore a child. Don't take it to a weird place. I think this is intentional by God that he wrote that because yada doesn't just mean head knowledge. You can't have a baby with somebody by just knowing information about them. You have to experience them. It's an experiential intimacy. And the way that God designed husbands and wives is a great way to look at it. Husbands and wives know each other in a more profound way than anyone else. They know information about one another. Yes, my wife knows so much information about me. She knows all the areas where I'm stupid and she still loves me and she's amazing for that. Um, but you know, husbands and wives, they also experience one another in the sense that they're around one another and they have a deep bond of friendship, love, trust, and commitment. Just like you guys have with your best friends, they share experiences with one another. And with husbands and wives, it's heart, mind, soul, and body connected on the deepest level. That's what God is looking for in us. Pretty pretty mind-blowing if you think about it, that that is what God made us for. An experiential knowledge that's based on the context of covenant and relationship. There's that word covenant again. What's God's covenant purposes? God creates man, why? To know him and be with him. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. Make no mistake, the reason you were designed was to know God on the most intimate level and to partner with him in just ruling this earth for his glory. So, 
When we know God that way, when we yadah him, we're saying, God, I know you and I know your heart for me and I know your grace for me and I know that I can trust you more than I can trust myself. When I know him in that way, he takes the decisions of our lives, the mistakes we've made and the crookedness of our journey and he makes it straight when we truly submit to him and know him in this way. Here's what's funny. We have the tendency to want to prove, or we want God to prove himself to us before we trust him. And we kind of need a guarantee. You know, we're like, uh, God, I want you to prove to me that your faithfulness is so good so that I can trust you. I mean, don't we do that? We say, God, if you will just help me land this grade or, or, the, or if you help me win this sports game or if you help me get that girl as my girlfriend, then I can serve you. Then I can know that you're with me. If I know that that's gonna happen, then I can trust you, Lord. I want you to prove yourself so that I can trust you. That's not trust. That's not really trust. That's us pretending that God is our genie in the bottle and, and he does what we want. But in fact, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about trust working in that way. In fact, everything in scripture says that the way that God works is you put your trust in him even when you don't know how it's going to turn out. God wants us to trust him. And if you're taking notes, he wants us to trust him so that he can prove himself. It takes faith. In Hebrews 11, it says, faith is a confidence in what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. You have to believe in that which you cannot prove so that it releases God to do what you could never do. You believe in what you cannot see so that God can then do the supernatural because God does not force his plans into our lives. We often miss out on his plan because we don't open the door to his plan by faith. It's faith that opens the door. Do you guys get that? God's not gonna force his will in your life. He's got a great plan for you, but he won't force it on you. If you wanna go a different way, you can go your own way. But he will always come in with his will and plan if you just open the door through faith. We trust in God and then God responds miraculously. And I've seen this in my own life so many times. Faith always has to come first. It's impossible to please God without faith, impossible. Faith always has to come first. Uh, there's this amazing animal called the African impala. Anyone ever heard of the African impala? No? It's like an antelope or a deer if you look it up on Google Images, but it's an animal that can jump 10 feet high. And if it's running at full speed, it can jump a distance of over 30 feet. So it's basically a Jedi animal. Yet this animal can be contained in any zoo with nothing more than a three foot tall solid wall. How do you figure that? An animal that can jump 10 feet or at full running speed can jump a distance of 30 feet. What stops it? A three foot tall solid wall. The reason is because it is in the instincts of the Impala that it will never ever jump unless it can first see where its feet will land ever. That's its instinct. Many of us are exactly that way. We say, God, unless I know exactly how this is gonna work out, then this is how things are gonna remain with me. Unless I know exactly what you're gonna do, like, Lord, God, if I confess this sin, I've got to know that my parents won't take away my freedom. God doesn't give us those guarantees. Guys, we have to trust without seeing. It seems like at times that's really hard, but it's not hard if you know God, if you submit to him, if you know him intimately. It's not hard at all because you know his character and you know that he is there to take care of you. If you know him like that, we don't need to see where our feet will land because we know that he is with us. 
you know, for me, it really brings me back to my, the story of kind of my journey of faith. For me, I don't have a crazy testimony of like, yeah, I used to be a drug dealer. I was born in a Christian home, uh, you know, and, and my story, many of you guys have heard it. So I'm sorry if you have to hear it again, but maybe I'll, I'll just go through it quick. And if someone here needs to hear this tonight, maybe it'll bless them. But for me, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and I struggled with just feelings of inadequacy. I felt so uncool and unpopular in school. And I, and I just really struggled with this feeling of like, I'm never going to be happy and I'm never going to have someone to love me. Because all throughout, I remember distinctly from second grade on, you know, I had crushes and, and I had friends who had crushes and, you know, they'd get Valentines from those girls or, or they'd get attention from those girls. The girls I had crushes on never liked me back ever and it was just it was so hard and I was always like that kid who was watching someone else with the girl that he loved you know and and, and always watching the girls that I had crushes on going off and dating guys who were much cooler than me and much more athletic than me and much more better looking than me and so I was very insecure and I faced some rejection I, I remember you know calling girls and asking them you know I didn't want to go I didn't want a girlfriend I just wanted someone to take to the school dance because all my friends had dates and I, I called this one girl and she was like oh, you know what, uh, I, I'm sorry, but I think another boy is going to ask me. And it's like, oh my gosh, what am I, chopped liver? There's another girl I asked, and she literally laughed at me and ran away. Um, I became very insecure from so much rejection. That's just literally two incidences. There were so many more. I became depressed. I struggled with weight issues. At the age of 15, I weighed 250 pounds. Um, and, and, and all the time before that growing up, I was always called either fat or chubby um, by my friends. Uh, and I ended up losing a ton of weight by the age of 16, but I struggled with something called body dysmorphia, which is like where you look in the mirror and even though you're really skinny, I went down to 175 pounds and I still felt like I was huge. I was desperate to find a girlfriend because I was like, if I don't make this happen, it's never going to happen. I'm going to die alone. Uh, all of my friends had girlfriends basically and, and I couldn't even get a date to the dance and I felt worthless and pathetic. Um, I got really into my art making movies and I, I hid myself behind that. Um, I found my worth in likes on YouTube and, and people liking my movies and, and saying I was artistic. That's where I felt my, that's where I found my self-worth, not in Jesus, but in my abilities. Um, I grew up my hair super long and swoopy and I kind of hid behind it and I became very reclusive and I kind of just locked myself in my room every day and worked on my art and, and, and I started obsessing with every conversation with any girl because I was like, maybe she's the one, maybe she's the one, but I'm so worthless and pathetic. She'd never love me. And I was always in this like cycle of freaking out and feeling like I would die alone and a loser. And then God did something amazing in my heart. He told me to stop. He's like, stop. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks driving one day. He said, trust me. I was like, I can't. He's like, no, trust me. Like, I've got you. I love you. Like, you're my son. You're precious to me. And he brought me that verse, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he'll direct your path. And what he told me was, Aaron, fall in love with me before you fall in love with anyone else. I wasn't trusting. You know, I thought I was hopeless. God said, give it a rest. Give it, give it to me. And then uh, the incident got even tougher with trusting because during that time where I was like, okay, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm not going to freak out about the whole girlfriend thing. Like, I'm just, I'm going to trust you, even though it's really hard. And I, I entered into this period where I was reading my Bible and praying. And I started serving as a counselor in the youth group at the time, the, the one that I'm still in. And, um, you know, I was at a camp serving as a counselor up at camp. And um, Phil Wickham's playing worship. 
and I'm totally listening to the spirit and God's speaking to me. And then out of nowhere, God's like, I want you to do something. And I'm like, Lord, anything for you. And he's like, I want you to give $500 to this girl named Megan, who was a counselor at the time in the junior high group. And I was like, no, <laughs> like you're Satan. Like you're not God. Like there's no way. Cause listen, I, I was working as a janitor, which is hard work. I was getting paid below minimum wage. And, uh, I'd saved up my first thousand dollars, which to, you know, 16 year old me felt like I was a millionaire and I I felt like I worked hard for that money. I don't want to give that to anybody. And God said, give that to her. I I found out that she was trying to raise money for a missions trip. I didn't know that. I had no idea. God put it on my heart before I even knew, but I was like, she's going to have to find another way. And it was crazy guys, because every time I went to youth group, my pastor would teach a message and somewhere in his message, he would talk about trusting God with your finances. And I'm like, what the heck? Like we're high school kids. Like we don't have money. I'm like the only guy here who has any money. And why are you teaching this pastor, Dan? Like cut it out. And, um, I remember I listened to the radio or no, I was reading in my, I had this devotional by a guy I love named Keith Green. I've quoted him a lot in this group and Keith Green, his wife, Melody, um, she was pregnant and she got these maternity clothes that she could barely afford, but she got really nice maternity clothes, you know, the stretchy pants and, um, and all that stuff, but they were good stretchy pants and they made her look good. Well, there was this, there was this, there was this lady next door to her, this, this poor lady who also was pregnant and didn't have money for any maternity clothes. And God said to her, give her the clothes. And she ends up not wanting to do it, but she does it. She gives her the clothes and then God actually comes and he had someone give clothes to her. They weren't as good as the clothes she had in the first place, but they were still okay. So God provided for her. I heard that story and I was like, that's great, but not for me. And, uh, you know, so then I turn on the radio two days later and the girl who wrote the story is on the radio reading the story. And I'm like, this never happens, but still not for me. So finally, I'm in my room cleaning and there's a couple other things that happened, but the nail in the coffin for me was I was in my room cleaning and, um, I'm, you know, 16, 17 years old and, and, and I, f- I'm going through old VHS tapes or no DVDs, old DVDs and they're unlabeled. And I'm like, what are on these DVDs? So I'm putting them in my tiny little glass TV with my little DVD player and I put them in and, and it's like teenage N- mutant Ninja Turtle episodes and just stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. So I find one DVD. I don't know what it is. I put it in. I hit play. I go downstairs to make myself a sandwich. I come back upstairs. It's a recording of Megan, the girl I felt like I was supposed to give money to from a year before the last time she went on the missions trip. I didn't, I wasn't there that night when she said that. I never asked for that DVD. I don't know how it ended up in my room. I was like, what is this? Like, oh, this is, this is ridiculous, Lord. So she's on there and she's talking about how she needed money and an anonymous donor gave her money and she was able to go on that missions trip. And I was like, I've never seen this before. Like, this isn't some repressed memory that came back to haunt me. This, this is, I was like, I cannot deny that the Lord is trying to tell me something. So I, I put the money in an envelope. I gave it to my pastor and I was like, Pastor Dan, like, give this to Megan. Don't tell her it's from me. I want it to be anonymous. I just want to bless her. So she gets the money. A few weeks later, I hear that the trip's been canceled, the missions trip. And I'm like, oh, dang, she's going to go take my money and buy shoes. This sucks. I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm like, I can't go and ask her for the money back because then I'm the biggest jerk ever. So I, I actually knew people in Austria because I had gone to Austria the year before with Pastor Rob Nash. And so there's this missions conference place called The Castle where all these missionaries go to for this conference. I'm calling The Castle and I'm like, listen, you've got to get Megan to Austria. Like she's supposed to go. Like you need to make, I remember I was at family camp and I spent the whole week on the phone trying to get Megan to go to Austria. It didn't happen. 
And I was like, God, what is this? Like, why would you do this to me? 500 bucks, God, like, this is terrible. And the Lord spoke to me and was like, this is all part of my plan. You need to trust me. Like, you need to let go. Like, you need to just do, do this and stop grumbling and just have a heart to do what I want you to do. And I was like, all right, God, I, I surrender. And it was really hard. But I just, I let it happen. I was like, whatever she does with the money, obviously it's in God's hands. So she goes to England instead. She uses the money to help her go to Bible college in England. And she comes back and she tells me about it. She's like, Aaron, England is so cool. You would love it. You should go. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, maybe that is what God wants me to do. It was weird. It just kind of clicked. And I end up going to England. And that's where I meet Brooklyn. And literally, my life has never been the same. Like, and I'm not saying that like, that was absolutely directly what happened. But I mean, it could have been. Like, to me, I think about if I would have never obeyed God, if I would have never given that money, maybe Megan wouldn't have gone to England. Maybe she wouldn't have been able to afford it. And maybe I never would have heard about it. And maybe I never would have gone. And maybe I'd be a guy living in a van down by the river right now. <laughs> Probably. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> To me, guys, what I'm trying to tell you is trust God. Lean not on your own understanding. I cannot tell you how many times things made no sense that God wanted me to do in my life. And I look back and I'm like, what a blessing. What a blessing that I didn't want to give that money and God kept tugging on my heart. He didn't give up on me. He pushed me to it. And when I finally gave in, I look back and I'm like, wow, 500 bucks to meet the most beautiful woman in the world. Like I I would have paid 10 million times that much if I would have known. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Guys, here's the challenge. Listen, I want you to take a step of faith this week, whatever you wrote or whatever you thought your line. I have a hard time trusting God with fill in the blank. Whatever your issue is, I want you to take a step of faith this week. The moment that you do, you're going to discover three things about God. You're going to discover the goodness of God. You're going to discover the love of God and the faithfulness of God. In Psalm 100 verses three through five, it, all this is right in scripture. It says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Say that with me. I am his. I am his. You belong to him, guys. And it's not like a possessive weird thing. You're not his property. It's like a father looks at his kids and says, you're mine. The Psalm goes on. It says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We enter his gates, therefore with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And we give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. Guys, when you obey the Lord, you get to know the goodness of the Lord. When you trust the Lord, you get to know his love. The Bible says in this Psalm, his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Think of that, guys. This isn't just about your life. It's about when you trust God with your whole heart and your whole life, your great, great, great grandchildren will be different because the heritage of faith that you started of faith. Think about it. I mean, like maybe I never would have met Brooklyn and our future kids would never exist. I can look back one day and I can say to my future kids and my grandkids, like, because, because I obeyed God when I really didn't want to, he was faithful to point me in the right direction because Brooklyn obeyed Jesus when he told her, leave everything you know, leave your life in Maine and move to England to go to this Bible college uh, this, when it's hard to afford and you're already working on money from your last college experience. It's just expensive and all this stuff. Like She took a step of faith too. And she continues to take steps of faith when she moved down here to be a part of this. Uh, guys, I honestly, I, I look back in my life and there's never been a time 
where I took a step of faith and regretted it. There's never been a time where I looked at what I wanted to do and I said, no, I'm gonna go God's way instead. And in the end, I was like, that wasn't that great. I probably should have done my thing. No, every single time I've been like, God's way was the best way and my way would have sucked. For me, if I honestly, if if I'm honest with my own abilities, which I was not as a teenager, if I would have moved to Hollywood to try to like make it as a screenwriter, like I, I would be a guy living in a van down by the river. I'd be broke. Living in LA is terrible. Like, I'm so much happier with what God has provided for me now. And so I just want to encourage you guys, trust him. Whatever you're dealing with, trust him. Surrender to him. There's things in your life that may not even be sins, but God might be saying, give them up or change it up. Or, hey, I want you to serve in this way at your church or I want, you to, I want you to serve your parents in this way. Or, hey, I want you to take this class this year. Or, I want you to ask that girl out. Sometimes God tells you to do that. <laughs> Sometimes God says, don't ask that girl out, even though you really want to, you know? It's all up to him. And the Bible says if you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. It's not, like, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, if you submit to him, like, He might direct your path. We'll see how it works out. No, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's that's a guarantee. And there's never been a time in my life where when I submitted to God and acknowledged him that I just felt clueless. Like he's always directed me and my wife and this whole journey with this youth group has been a series of saying yes to things and no to other things. And I, I would never trade it for anything else. It's been such a blessing. And I'm so encouraged to be a part of it still. So let's pray. And, and I just want to ask you guys as, as we pray to really lay it out with the Lord tonight. What is it that you're having a hard time with surrendering? We've, we've all got something, whether it's something big or small or in between. What is it you're having a hard time with? And, and as we just have a moment of prayer, give it to him. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for this group. God, I just want to take a moment of, of silence even, Lord, just for all of us here to pray in our own hearts to you and to submit whatever we're struggling with, whatever doubts we're having, whatever areas we're, we're having a hard time surrendering and trusting to you. God, help us to commit ourselves to trust you tonight. And just right now, just a moment of silence. Just everyone, take a moment to, to tell God how you feel and to commit yourself to trust him. God, help us to trust. Help us to be obedient. Help us to move forward when you want us to move forward. Help us to hang back and rest in the areas that you want us to rest and trust you and wait and be patient. Help us to say yes to the things you're calling us to and no to the things that you're not. Help us, God, to honor you with our lives, whatever that looks like, in our schools, in our home, in our relationships, in our friendships, with our families, with our jobs, with our futures, with our present, with our past, God. Help us to trust you that you're in control and that you love us and that you're guiding us. I pray for every student and adult here in this circle that you would free them from the chains of doubt and discouragement. If anyone here is suffering with just this feeling of needing to be in control, God, help them to take their hands off that thing 
and hand it over to you and watch what you do with it. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.